If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bowl & Branch sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl & Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to B-O-L-L and branch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 26 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of sexual violence and abuse. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. In 2018, one week after the New Year's celebrations, a middle-aged woman enters Cheadle Heath Police Station in Stockport. She had travelled almost five miles on foot from her home in Reddish, Greater Manchester. She has a blank expression on her face. In a quiet and subdued voice, the woman calmly tells an officer that she has killed someone. The body is buried in her back garden.
Following the Stark admission at Stockport Police Station, inquiries begin and officers are dispatched to verify what they were told. The front of the two-storey semi-detached property on Matlock Road in Reddish Greater Manchester looks unremarkable. Like all the other homes on the quiet suburban street, the brick building with a brown front door does not stand out. Only a small walkway between the neighbouring properties offers the slightest glimpse that an investigation would soon be underway following the disturbing confession made on Sunday, January 7th, 2018. The cordon was set up. The officer's standing guard asked curious members of the public to move on. Neighbours at first thought there might have been a burglary. Still, when a heavy police presence descended on the close, residents knew something far more sinister had occurred. For several days, numerous emergency vehicles lined the neighbourhood's narrow road, and reams of police tape all but stopped the flow of residential traffic. A collection of large green wheelie bins were delivered, stationed on the driveway, an apparent request made by the officers examining the garden. Construction work was being carried out on an adjacent plot of land. However, workers were told to down tools as the inquiry unfolded. White and yellow tents were erected close to a tree as a team of officers covered head-to-toe in white forensic overalls continued to carefully examine the soil. The lawn was enclosed by fences on three sides. It would have only been the eyes and ears of neighbours either next door or opposite who could have seen and heard what was going on. The home was searched top to bottom. The living area was sparse. Exposed electrical cables hung from the walls, painted in pale green and bright yellow. A small dog bed was positioned in one corner of the room below a lampshade fixed precariously by a thread to the wall. A modern flat-screen television looked out of place amongst the more dated furnishings and carpet. As day made way for night, a team of forensic officers continued working into the late evening. Through the gloom, floodlights illuminated the garden's patchy grass. The flat earth was raised ever so slightly in one spot near a fence. Only weeds and nettles had managed to take root, covered by the dead leaves of a nearby tree. Once the vegetation was cleared, a circle of bricks a few metres in diameter protruded from the mud. A handful of stones appeared to have been discarded carelessly when the hole was covered up. Experts carefully began to remove the earth, section by section. Their trowels struck something that was not dirt. They found evidence of human remains.
Constables and community support officers went door to door to understand what neighbours knew about the homeowners. They wanted to paint a picture of what life had been like at the house over the last few decades. In the early morning of Wednesday, January 10th, 2018, parents waved off their children in the dim light of the morning as the youngsters journeyed to the bus stop on their way to school. Police tape blew softly in the cold winter air. The children were carefully escorted past the scene, allowed no closer than 200 feet from the address. A media statement from the Greater Manchester Police indicated that the body found in the garden of a property on Matlock Road was that of an adult male. Detective Inspector Dan Clegg spoke about the exhumation. Following a search of the garden, officers discovered remains which were later confirmed to be human by a forensic pathologist. The investigation is still in its early stages, and many questions still need answers. We will continue our work at the scene and hope in the coming days we can piece together the exact circumstances surrounding the man's death. I would like to thank the community for their support, and we will do all that we can to find out what happened. Few people who lived on Matlock Road knew much about the family who had occupied the home. But as residents slowly learned of the gruesome discovery, they started to put two and two together. A woman had lived at the property on her own for many years. She was identified as Barbara Coombs. In her early 60s, she was described as quiet and timid, often keeping herself to herself, spending many hours in her garden. A local who ran a shop nearby said, She comes in every day with a little puppy which she seemed to take great care of. I only knew her face, not her name. She had grey hair and it was a bit messy. Her appearance was quite scruffy and she is maybe a bit of a recluse. Barbara was often seen washing her clothes in a laundrette nearby. Her physical health appeared to be declining. She barely spoke and looked increasingly tired. Barbara Coombs' bedroom overlooked the location where the body was found. Neighbours knew that her mother Mary had died over 40 years earlier and her father Kenneth had not been seen for more than 10 years. Everyone assumed he had moved elsewhere. A paper questionnaire was handed to neighbours asking what they remembered about Barbara's father. One resident who spoke with the Manchester Evening News told reporter Paul Britton about the experience of being questioned by the police. They asked us if we had heard of Kenneth Coombs. I asked if he lived at the address involved and they said yes. We do not know him. It was all done on paper and the police asked me to sign it. 
There was nothing about the woman. It was all about the man. There were questions about, did you know who lived there? Did I know Kenneth Coombs? And how long have we lived here? I've seen the woman walking her dog, and I think I saw her last Sunday. But I don't know who she is. One neighbour speaking about Barbara said, She was very reserved with me. She is dressed very poorly and has grey straggly hair. I only ever saw her when she was walking her small dog or returning home with the shopping. Another resident added, She never gave any impression that she had a dark past and I can't believe she would be capable of something like this. As news of what had happened started to spread on social media, young adults who used to live on the street posted comments about playing in the very garden where the body had been found. One user of Facebook mentioned that she had frequently played Manhunt, a game similar to hide-and-seek. When attempting to remain out of sight, she hid in the garden likely only metres away from the makeshift grave where a human body lay buried. After her admission at the police station and the subsequent discovery of a body in her garden, Barbara Coombs appeared in the dock before Manchester and Salford Magistrates Court. The faintest smile graced her face, before it was replaced with a sombre look as the short proceedings began. When most criminal cases begin, a magistrate's court usually handles what is known as summary offences. These relate to minor theft or drug offences, but more often they encompass motoring offences minor criminal damage and common assault which does not cause significant injury. The magistrates will also consider whether the defendant should be granted bail. However, due to the seriousness of the charges Barbara Coombs was facing, the case would be referred to the Crown Court. Serious crimes that are referred cover offences that include robbery, rape, manslaughter and murder, otherwise known as indictable offences. Legal proceedings against the 63-year-old progressed through the court. It was alleged the body in Barbara Coombs' garden was that of her father, although by this point there had not been any formal identification. A home office pathologist was still finalising the results of a post-mortem. Barbara had allegedly killed her father at the start of 2006, almost 12 years to the day before she made the admission. Other charges included preventing a lawful and decent burial, fraud, and obtaining a pecuniary advantage by deception. Since her father's death, Barbara Coombs had claimed she was his carer, sending correspondence and obtaining funds in his name, including his pension. 
she did not enter a plea for the four charges, only confirming her details to the court. A pair of dark rim glasses covered her eyes with handcuffs binding her wrists. Guards of the court escorted Coombs from the stand. A grey curly shoulder-length hair hung loosely over a dark woolly jumper. The confession that she had killed her father and buried his body came on January 7th, almost 12 years to the day when his life was taken. Coincidentally, Kenneth Coombs was born on January 9th, 1919, so his birthday would have fallen around the time of his death. Any connection to this date was still being investigated. In a preliminary hearing a day later, Barbara Coombs appeared at Manchester Crown Court. A plea and case preparation hearing was due at the start of April and a trial scheduled three months later. Coombs was told by Recorder of Manchester Judge David Stockdale QC that she would remain in custody. Barbara Ann Coombs admitted that she had killed her father and buried his body in the garden. But who was she? And why had she ended Kenneth Coombs' life? A reporter for the Mail Online had managed to track down Barbara's former husband, who explained that although he had not seen his ex-wife for several years, he believed that she had cancer, although this was something that had yet to be substantiated. In a tragic coincidence, Barbara Coombs' mother Mary reportedly died of cervical cancer in the early 70s. Before her death, she had separated from her husband, taking her other children with her. Born in July 1954, after Barbara Coombs left school, she found work in a factory. She was married and had a child. However, Barbara was divorced 20 years later, soon after the turn of the millennium. In the wake of the separation with her daughter, She then moved back to her former home with her father in Reddish. Coombs' ex-husband Bill was not exactly flattering when describing his former father-in-law. He said, Ken was a domineering man, a real control freak. He liked to humiliate people and make them feel small, and that included Barbara and my daughter Isla. Barbara moved back in with Ken and took Isla with her when we split up. Isla was about six at the time. Ken was not very nice about it. He told Barbara that I had to stop coming round to visit Isla or he would throw them both out. Several friends of Barbara's daughter who were now in their late 20s recalled their childhood experiences to a reporter for the Sun newspaper. They remembered playing in the garden, but all said they were never allowed in the house.
The overbearing and iron-handed description of Kenneth Coombs was at odds with the man his friends and acquaintances remember. They were quick to depict a well-dressed war hero that enjoyed a Sunday tea with good company. He had served as an army mechanic, stationed in Europe, the Middle East and North Africa. When Kenneth Coombs left the military, his discharge papers described a man that was indispensable and, quote, first class. He had been presented with service medals for his time in the armed forces, including an award for exemplary conduct, the Africa Star 8th Army Clasp and the France and Germany Star. If Kenneth was alive in 2018, he would have almost been 100 years old. Instead, his body, which had been buried in a makeshift grave for over a decade, was being examined on a pathologist's table. It was reported that before his disappearance, the former bombardier from the Royal Regiment of Artillery had discussed writing a memoir about his time in the military. A former neighbour of Kenneth's, Terry Sever, had last seen him around 30 years earlier. Sever spoke with a correspondent for the Manchester Evening News and described his interaction with Barbara, Kenneth's daughter. She used to say how strict her father was, Sever remarked. If he wanted to watch something on television, her and her daughter used to have to go out of the room. He was very strict. To my knowledge, this man Kenneth just disappeared. I was not that friendly to ask where he went. I just did not see him anymore. From 1995, I was home virtually all day, and I do not remember him passing my front window, and I'm sure he would have done. It just all seems so unreal, like something from the television. I wish I could remember more, but I do recall the woman's father being strict. I think the woman had two brothers, but I do not remember them playing out. Rita Spillman, an elderly neighbour to Barbara Coombs, was interviewed by a reporter for the Daily Mail. Describing Coombs, Rita Spillman said, She's a quiet sort of person, really. I used to say hello to her, but that was about it. She didn't mix with people very much. I'm sure she told people her dad had died. Two such individuals were Lillian Cosgrove and her son Roy. Roy, in his early 70s, had nothing but fond memories of Kenneth Coombs, whom he regarded as an uncle. They had remained in touch throughout most of Roy's life. Kenneth's relationship with Roy's mother Lillian was like a brother and sister. My mother and Kenneth stayed as friends, and he'd come round to her house and also come round to ours, Roy said. He was always a nice man from what I knew. One example of his generosity was when I was 16 and I got my first moped. He said, here's a fiver towards the petrol. Detailing the days leading up to Kenneth Coombe's death and how they heard the news. Roy Cosgrove's wife Pamela told a reporter for the Mail Online that Kenneth had been around their home for dinner, along with her mother-in-law. 
Soon after, they were told Kenneth had tripped in an accident. And then he was dead. We'd heard he'd had a fall and hurt his leg, Pamela Cosgrove said. Then the next thing we knew was that he'd had cancer and supposedly passed away. My mother-in-law was devastated. She hadn't even been invited to the funeral. Barbara said it was over and done with. Everything passed in a haze. The funny thing was, when my husband took him home, Ken wouldn't let him drop him off outside his house. It was always at the end of the road. As far as I knew, he was a very quiet, placid, intelligent man. He was a gent. To almost everyone that knew him, it appeared that Kenneth Coombs was a family man who often wrote about life with his children. Around five years before his death, he composed a letter which he sent to Lillian Cosgrove. It read, Dear Lillian, I shall start the new year well by writing a letter at six in the morning after being wakened by the police helicopter hanging in the sky about half a mile over the motorway bridge on Windmill Lane. It is only there to annoy any burglars taking a shortcut along the hard shoulder to get back to Brinnington, the big main housing estate over the river from here. The police do not arrest anyone, just annoy us all with the helicopter noise. Once I am awake, I can never get back to sleep, and after I have watched News 24, there is nothing else to see on the TV at that time in the morning. I have earphones alongside my bed and a zapper, so I do not need to get out to switch the TV on. Barbara and Isla will probably surface about half past eight. We had a quiet new year. No visitors. My son Michael came up to see us Sunday last with some presents for Isla and chocolates for us. He's a keen bird watcher and is looking forward to going off on a few weeks to look at birds in the jungle in Gambia, a tiny country in the middle of the bulge of West Africa. The last place his bird watching group went was to Mallorca in Spain. This time they will be paddling in a canoe up a jungle river. It should be an adventure. They have been to the desert and the Dead Sea in Israel as well. I am hoping he does not get bitten by anything or the insects out there, and that he gets back all right. In the letter, Kenneth Coombs then wrote about the manuscript he was working on, and his love and appreciation of photography, a fact which would later become relevant to the case. Kenneth's handwriting was progressively getting worse in his old age, so he was now typing up his work on his computer. He marvelled at the technology at his fingertips, which could not only correct spelling errors, but also the grammar on his war diaries, as he referred to them. Kenneth gave an initial copy of the manuscript to his friend Edna Evans. They had known each other since the outbreak of the Second World War. They grew closer in the 70s, after Kenneth's wife died. Edna's husband had also passed away a few years earlier. They made time to see each other every week. 
Edna's son Steve remembered Kenneth as being nothing but kind and generous and had inspired his love of computing and nurtured his desire to learn. He was part of the family. I didn't have anyone to guide me, and he did exactly that, Steve told the reporter for the Sun newspaper. He helped me with mechanics. I was quite lucky to have him. He was very honourable, a very decent bloke. Kenneth and Edna slowly grew apart with the onset of Edna's dementia. It made keeping in touch difficult. Edna's son Steve had received a Christmas card almost every year from Kenneth until the last one landed on his doormat in December 2005. Michael, Kenneth Coombe's son, was approached for comment about his father's death and his sister's arrest, but he said he wanted nothing to do with the case. Almost three months after Barbara Coombs walked into Cheadle Heath Police Station and admitted that she had taken her father's life, she appeared via video link at Manchester Crown Court. During the hearing, which lasted no more than half an hour, Coombs brushed her hair from her eyes and occasionally removed her glasses, wiping away the tears. From HMP style in Cheshire, She pleaded guilty to charges of false representation, fraud and preventing a lawful burial. But when Coombs was asked how she would plead for a charge of murder, she entered a plea of not guilty. A two-week trial was set to begin in summer 2018. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bowl & Branch Sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl & Branch Sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. 
plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to B-O-L-L and branch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Barbara Coombs appeared before Manchester Crown Court on Wednesday, July 11th. She was asked how she pleaded. Coombs replied, Not guilty to murder, but guilty to manslaughter. She described how she took her father's life. Barbara walked into the front room of the property where she had been living with Kenneth Coombs, who was in his late 80s when he died. Barbara forcibly struck him over the head with a shovel. Then when her father shouted back at her, she then hit him again before slitting his throat with the sharp end of the garden implement. As he lay slowly bleeding to death, Barbara took some old carpet and wrapped up his body. She cleaned up the scene, hiding what she had done from her daughter, who was then only a young adult. Barbara Coombs told both her daughter and her brother Michael that her father had died unexpectedly. She told relatives the body had already been collected by some men in a white van, and anyway, the father would not have wanted the fuss of a funeral. She said he was cremated. In fact, Barbara had ordered a ton of topsoil and the next day buried him in the garden near a tree. Barbara's brother received the news of his father's death on a piece of paper posted through his letterbox. For more than a decade, Barbara Coombs claimed almost £190,000 from a carer's allowance and her father's pension. There were no reports made to authorities that Kenneth was missing as anyone who had known him assumed he had moved elsewhere, or they were told he died. Barbara's wider family asked for a death certificate. This request was rebuffed. Barbara slowly began to dispose of his things. At one stage, her family delicately asked if something untoward had happened. Barbara feigned shock and horror at being asked such a question. Pretending to be his wife, she had managed to convince her father's dentist and doctor he did not need treatment. She explained that as his son was an army medic, they would be dealing with his medical needs. But a day after, Barbara walked into the police station in Stockport and said, I murdered my father 12 years ago. A representative for the housing association was due to visit the home. They had been growing increasingly sceptical, believing Kenneth Coombs was not at the property. 
They were insistent on a face-to-face visit despite Barbara's repeated excuses. Since autumn of the previous year, every time the officer had turned up for a welfare visit, they were told Kenneth was not there. They were asked to leave. A long line of apologies were made, including how Kenneth was away attending a retreat for Buddhist monks. Isla Barbara's daughter offered a victim personal statement to the court. She spoke of her heartbreak over the situation. However, she would be standing by her mother, writing, I hope when this is done, we can repair our relationship to something approaching normal. The SIO on the case was interviewed outside the court following sentencing. Duncan Thorpe from the Major Incident Support Unit for Greater Manchester Police said, This is a tragic case in which an elderly man has been killed by his own daughter, who then went on to fraudulently claim benefits of over £180,000. Thorpe described how Barbara had buried her father's body metres away from her own bedroom window and addressed her actions denying friends and family the chance to say goodbye. He stated, Despite having years to tell someone what really happened, she only came forward when she had no other choice. The impact on the family and friends of all concerned cannot be underestimated. As these tragic events have come to an end, I hope that the family can now move forward with their lives. In spite of the perceived financial motivation for taking a life, as Barbara Coombs had claimed a considerable amount of money over the last decade, This was not the reason for her ending her father's life at the start of January 2006. She had pleaded guilty to a charge of manslaughter by reason of diminished responsibility, and this plea would be accepted by the prosecution. Subsequent to her arrest, Barbara was interviewed several times about what had happened. She was repeatedly questioned by a psychiatrist over several months before eventually revealing that she had frequently self-harmed throughout her life and had made attempts to kill herself. Since the age of five, Barbara had been the victim of continued sexual assault and rape at the hands of her father. The abuse did not even stop when she became an adult. Barbara explained that her father would still often grope her breasts well into her fifties. She spoke of the violence she witnessed towards her mother before Mary died and said how she could do nothing to stop it. Barbara even claimed that her father told her he wanted another son and how it was likely she was not even one of his children. On one occasion when she was a child, She recalled being taken to a photography club attended by her father and other men. There she was made to undress in front of the cameras. 
the men took photographs of the lower part of her body. Barbara became a recluse. She rarely, if ever, left Reddish, the area where she grew up. She had no friends. On the day she took her father's life, Barbara had been doing some gardening. While tidying up, she discovered a box of her father's old photographs. Among his possessions were pictures of Barbara as a baby. She was naked. The images were explicit in nature. There were also other pictures of naked children. A lifetime of abuse and repressed emotion came to the surface. She described being mortified. Barbara said, In a haze of disgust and disbelief, I picked up a shovel I had been gardening with and walked into the living room where my father was standing. She described a black cloud washing over her as she snapped. I was confused and not thinking clearly, she said. Barbara struck her father over the head. She claimed that when he felt the first blow, he turned around shouting, appearing like he was going to kill her or at least inflict life-threatening injuries. That was when she stabbed him in the throat with the makeshift weapon. In a state of panic, she buried his body in the garden. Michael Heslop QC, who was defending Barbara Coombs, told the court that she had given birth to a son who died shortly after he was born. Heslop explained that due to the continued sexual attacks which counted in their hundreds, it was possible Kenneth Coombs may have been the father to his daughter's baby. The abuse lasted for four decades with Barbara treated as what her counsel described as a sex slave. Michael Heslop QC said, This has to be one of the most tragic cases to come to the courts. This now 63-year-old lady of previous good character killed her father following 40 years of extreme sexual, mental and physical abuse at his hand. Also, Heslop argued that his client was trapped, unable to stop claiming the pension and carer money. If she did this, it would unearth her secret, something she felt unable to tell anyone else at the time. Barbara posted another note through the letterbox of her brother's home. She told him that her daughter would need his support shortly before going to the police to admit what she had done. The Crown Prosecution Service and the Greater Manchester Police accepted Barbara Coombs' plea on the lesser charge of manslaughter by reason of diminished responsibility. They recognised what they referred to as a lifetime of abuse. However, the prosecutor Michelle Colborn QC did debate the amount of remorse Barbara Coombs felt. She did not immediately report the abuse she had suffered, 
and Barbara seemed detached and unemotional when first explaining to an officer that she had taken her father's life. Barbara had offered a prepared statement. She had only moved back to Matlock Road following her divorce, and she had no money to pay rent, and following a difficult experience in a bedsit, she had nowhere else to take her daughter. It was accepted that the abuse and sexual attacks caused severe depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. She was unable to exercise self-control, and her judgment was impaired. Psychiatric reports were produced detailing her state of mind. Finally, there was evidence which the prosecution had seen that proved Barbara's allegations to be true. So where are we now? The judge, Timothy King, was of the opinion that with the, quote, net closing in around her, Barbara Coombs admitted to her actions, but she would not have done so otherwise. He also did not believe that she acted in self-defence when she stabbed her father, and he thought her actions of hiding the body to be considered and elaborate. It was felt she had gone out of her way to hide what she had done, and the judge even said that Barbara had watched her father bleed to death. For her crimes, Barbara Coombs was sentenced to nine years in prison. Addressing the sentence passed, Judge Timothy King told Barbara, I accept the effect of the abuse over the years on you has been devastating. The history of abuse may explain but not justify the taking of life. Some may think that's wholly inadequate. Others might say it's far too much given the history of abuse. I have no doubt in the round. It is an appropriate sentence. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Dana Winogren, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com.
the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.